You're listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. Thanks, uh, thanks to Ashley for reading all of that. I know that was a, that was a lot, um, but I do appreciate it. Um, I really wanted all of those texts to be heard uh, by you today, because I'm going to do my best to kind of walk our way through all of them, right? Kind of starting with Samuel and then moving to Jeremiah and and then on to Mark. Um, the title of our service today is the house that Jesus built. Reminds me a little bit of a childhood book I used to read, The House That Jack Built. Does anybody remember that one? Yeah? All right. Like three of you? All right. That's okay. So I have on the table here next to me a few things. Uh, When people move into a new home or house, there's a common blessing that people will sometimes say, and it goes something like this. Bread, so that this house may never know hunger. Candle, so that the house may always have light. Salt, so that life may always have flavor. And wine, so that joy and prosperity may reign forever. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about a house that Jesus built. A house for God. A house that we want to bless today. So, as some of you may know, at Oasis, we follow the Revised Common Lectionary. That's a, um, what the lectionary is, is a three-year cycle, and each given Sunday, there's a group of texts that have been kind of chosen for that day, and it's often an Old Testament passage, a psalm, which I realize the psalm is in the Old Testament, but there's an Old Testament passage, then there's a psalm, then there's a New Testament passage, and then from something other than the Gospels, and then there's a Gospel passage. Now, sometimes there's more than that. Um, and, but it's always at least that. One of the things that I love about kind of following the lectionary, and we've been doing it about three or four years, is before I followed it, I kind of just chose something to preach, which is fine, I think, but I found myself over the years kind of going back to the same text. Like, I would say I believe in the whole Bible, but in practice, I was kind of coming back to the same things over and over. But kind of by following the lectionary, I find myself preaching on passages of Scripture that otherwise I wouldn't preach on. And that fits quite nicely with what I believe about Scripture itself. And so I like that practice. And in years gone by, I would often be the only person, if I were preaching, I would be the only person who would ever read the text. But you might have realized over the last two years or three years, we often have someone from the congregation kind of read the passages. That's important to me too, because I believe that we are the body of Christ, right? We are the family of God. And it's there is, a, I think, a role to be played for like the ordained minister, like there's the pastor and there's the laity. But I think that that sometimes can be overplayed. Like we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And I like the fact that I hear different Oasians reading the text to other Oasians. Like I really appreciate that, pra- that, that, pass- that practice. Excuse me. So um, <clears throat> do you remember... In the, in the original uh, film, The Pirates of the Caribbean, 
like Johnny Depp's character. Uh, he was Captain Jack Sparrow. And he was talking to Elizabeth Swan, that was played by Keira Knightley. Uh, she had tried to do something and he forbade it. And then he said, well, it's, it's against the law of the pirates. And then later in the film, he went to do that exact same thing and she objected. She said, you can't do that. It's, it's against the law of the pirates. And he's like, well, it's the law of pirates. So <laughs> it's more like guidelines. I tell that to say this, and, and um, most of you might know this, but those of you who have, who have served uh, with us uh, as an elder here at the church, we try our best. We meet monthly and we try our best to kind of follow Robert's rules of order. Those are the rules that you go by to run meetings. They're healthy. It's, it sets parameters. People who might not always have their voice will have a voice by virtue of following those rules. But I'm not particularly a good rule follower. And so um, what often will happen in those meetings, and the, instead of following Robert's rules of order, we'll follow Robbie's rules of order, <laughs> which is the same thing but just a little more informal, Right? So, while there is the Revised Common Lectionary, uh, we treat it more like guidelines, right? It's not a law for us. We don't always kind of follow those things. Uh, or we could call it kind of Robbie's Rules of Order. It's what, it's what I, I do kind of feel led to do. In any case, today I think all of these texts focus on Jesus. First in prophetic ways and then in deeply symbolic ways. Uh, you might ask, what does a collection of texts about Jesus have to do with life in the Spirit, which is what the series is about? Well, I'm glad you ask, because life in the Spirit will always point us to Christ, and living like Christ is, the only, poss- is only possible. Living like Christ is only possible when we are empowered and when we are enabled by the Spirit. So I want to kind of start with 2 Samuel, which is where Ashley began with us, and I want us to kind of kind of um, meander our way a bit through these texts. So in 2 Samuel, we learn that Jesus is a better David. David had longed to build a house for God, and I think that's a noble desire. After all, David had built himself a house, and apparently it was a really nice house. Initially, Nathan, David's prophet, thought, well, that's a good idea. David said, I'm going to build a house for God, and Nathan's like, well, yeah, you should do that. But then God spoke to Nathan and said, time out. Like, that's not my plan. My plan is not for David to build a house for me. I never asked David to build a house for me. In fact, I'm the one who's been leading David. And before David, Saul, and before him, the judges, and before him, them, the Hebrews, wandering the wilderness. I'm the one that led them. The cloud by day, the fire by night. I lived in a tent. I lived in a tent because I was moving and the people were moving with me. In fact, if somebody's going to build a house, it's not David who's going to build a house for me. It's that I'm going to build a house for David. And then he says this. He says that he's going to raise up a descendant of David who will then build a house for God. Now, historically, we might read that as Solomon. Like Solomon is a descendant of David and he builds the temple, the house of the Lord, right? But Christologically, which I think the way Christians should often be reading this text, or not just as history, but as theology, as as a spiritual text, the idea when it says, I will raise up a descendant 
uh, of David. That word for raise up, particularly when they translated the Hebrew into, into Greek, which is the, the Bible that the New Testament authors used, is the same word for resurrection. Like you could even, if you're reading it theologically, you could say, I'm going to resurrect one of your descendants, and that descendant is going to build a house for me. And I will be his father, and he will be my son. And so that text was read by, by Jews later on as kind of a messianic text, a text that was filled with the hope that God would give us a descendant of David who would lead to liberation for the people. And I think that's exactly what's going on. If we fast forward into the Jeremiah text, we see here that Jesus is a better shepherd. There were, there were these uh, lots of shepherds who had cared for Israel, but they had cared for Israel in ways that weren't particularly effective or weren't particularly efficient or worse yet, were more self-serving to the shepherd than they were to the people themselves. So while shepherd here could generically refer perhaps to any given leader, in the context in Jeremiah, I think it specifically refers to the kings, the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. And that's what's being critiqued. And so that there's going to be a new king. And it's in the Jeremiah text, he hearkens back to the promise to David that there will be a branch, a righteous branch that comes from David. And that language is filled with messianic expectation. So that Jesus is the branch, that Jesus is the shepherd. And that idea of shepherd, again, gets echoed in the gospel account that we read. Mark, Mark says that Jesus saw the people that were gathered there as a crowd, as a multitude as a, a group of folk without a shepherd. Jesus and his disciples had attempted to get away, to get some much-needed rest. But the crowd saw the direction that they were going in, in the boat, and they outpaced them, which is very impressive, right? They got to the place that they were headed. And so when Jesus saw them, it says he had compassion on them. Because again, they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so we see that Jesus then taught them. That was his response. There's things they didn't know. I guess they needed to know. And he healed them. So we see that Jesus plays these different roles in this text. First, Jesus is the son of the second Samuel passage. He's the son of David, the descendant of David that God will raise up. Jesus is the son which makes us his brothers and sisters. In the Jeremiah passage, Jesus is the branch which would make us his fruit. Then also in the Jeremiah passage and in the Mark passage, it says that Jesus is the shepherd which would make us his sheep. And then lastly, there is an epistle passage. I didn't, I didn't ask Ashley to read that. I thought she had read enough. But there is an epistle passage from Ephesians chapter 2 where Jesus is described as a builder. Jesus is the builder, and we are his house. And this comes then full circle with the second Samuel, right? David said, I want to build a house for you, God. And God says, no, thank you. I'll build for you a house, but I will raise up your descendant who will build a house for me. 
And that descendant of David who will build the house for Jesus is, or excuse me, for God, is none other than Jesus. And the question is, what is the house that Jesus built? That's the final part of our story. And let's look at this now in Ephesians chapter 2. So then, remember that at one time, you Gentiles, you pagans by birth, called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That doesn't sound very good. We started off in a bad spot. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups, both the circumcised and the uncircumcised, both the Jewish and the Gentiles. He has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and its ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and he proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints, also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Jesus Christ himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also were built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. Now, I know that was a lot, but let me just kind of summarize the the main points here. Two groups are being made into one group, right? The two groups would be the Jews, God's kind of chosen folk, and then everybody else, right? The Gentiles. But instead of having two groups, they're being melded into one group. The dividing wall that's being broken down, I think, could be interpreted as just general hostility that we can sometimes have between different people groups, right? Between us and them, right? between our group and their group, between the, you know, the inside, insiders and the outsiders. But I think historically, there was, there was an actual physical wall in the temple that separated the Greeks or the Gentiles from the Jews. It was a wall built around the sanctuary building. And it, inside the courtyard there, they would have had the altar of burnt sacrifice. So you could go to the temple mount. You could go to the temple building complex, no matter your ethnicity. But there was an inner court that you had to be Jewish to go to. Paul had been there many times. 
And in the book of Acts, we see Paul is there again, and a riot breaks out. It breaks out because Paul had been seen in Jerusalem with a man named Trophimus, who people knew was an Ephesian, a Greek, a Gentile. And they thought that Paul had kind of crossed those segregation lines. And they thought, that's just out of bounds. In fact, we have found, we, archaeologists, have found signs that used to, there were three entranceways into that courtyard. And we, we found the actual ones engraved in stone that says, Gentile, enter past this gate at risk of your own life. Like, we'll kill you if you come in here. But Paul is now saying, as he sits in prison, having been arrested for being accused of crossing that actual segregation line, that Christ has torn down the dividing wall between us. Look, this is why it is so important for us to kind of embrace various forms of diversity. We have to have space for others, whether it has to do with gender or whether it has to do with sex or whether it has to do with nationality or whether it has to do with ethnicity and race or whether it has to do with politics, whether it has to do with your favorite college football team, right? It doesn't matter what you think might separate us. Christ unites us. He is building, he's making out of the group one. He's building a house, one humanity in place of the two or three or four or five. And I love this part where he says he's claimed peace to those of you who are far off and peace to those who are near. Like we say this when we celebrate communion every week, right? It is made ready for those who love him and those who want to love him more. Whether you've been here often or whether you've never been here before, you're welcome because it's Jesus' table. It's not my table. It's not your table. It's the table of the Lord. And he welcomes all folks to be there. He says, we're no longer strangers or aliens, but you are members of the house of God. A house that was made by apostles and prophets. A house that was made by even Jesus himself. Jesus is the cornerstone of this house. The whole structure is joined together and it grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This is the final verse there. In whom you also were built together spiritually into a dwelling place of God. You've heard me say this before, but when Paul was writing the Corinthians, he'll say... And I'll use, again, my kind of southern colloquialism so you can pick up on the the grammar that's happening there. He's like, did y'all not know that y'all's body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Now, he said that each of our bodies are members of Christ. So your body is a member of Christ, and your body is a member of Christ, and your body is a member of Christ, right? All of our bodies are members of the one and only body of Christ, but it is our body. You've heard that image, that uh, metaphor before. Like, I'll, sometimes I'll talk about the church as the body. Like, there's something we need to tell the body. That that's you all. You are all the body that makes up Oasis. And Oasis is just one small part of this larger body that makes up the church. 
And it's that collective, it's that communal body, right, that makes the one and only temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul is a Jewish rabbi, well-trained. There wasn't a concept of here's a temple, there's a temple, there's a temple, there's a temple. They didn't have the idea of multiple temples. There was only one temple. Now what's ironic is that there was one physical, like literal temple building in Jerusalem when Paul was writing to the Corinthians. But he's already domesticated that because now he's talking about a new temple. A temple not made with brick and mortar. A temple made of flesh and blood. A temple made of people. A temple meaning a house of God. So you see, Jesus turns out to be the one that was prophesied about in 2 Samuel. He is the son of David who was raised up, who has built a house for God, and that house is us. We are part of that one and only house of which Jesus is built. Did you do this when you were a kid? You know what I'm doing here? Right? Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors. And here's all the people. I love that, right? Isn't that fun? You know, last year when COVID hit us so hard, sometimes I would hear folks talk about the church being closed. The church never closed. Oasis never closed. We can't close because the church is not this building. The church is this people. And the people were never shut down. <laughs> the people were never closed. We, we, are, we are always alive in the spirit. It's a spiritual reality. And it's one that we get to live in. But it's one that we get to live in, not an abstraction... Because you say it's spirit, and you might think, well, that's somehow nebulous. Except that our spirits actually dwell in a particular place. Like, I'm here. All right, I'm not at home. I'm not in, you know, uh, Las Vegas with uh, Porter Santana's, who read with us earlier. I'm, I'm not uh, somewhere out in the Midwest, Oklahoma, wherever the Willinghams are at the moment. Or even farther west, where the, the Armsteads are. Right? Those of us who are part of us but are out traveling. It was so nice having Cassie with us this morning, having Cassie and Katie with us here today. Right? They live in Maine. Right? But during that long COVID time, we often got to hear Cassie lead us in worship because, you know, we were virtual. It's so nice, though, to have her here, have them here in person. But this is what I want you to, this is the point I'm trying to make best I can, is that while I think this is a spiritual reality, it's a spiritual reality that takes place within the physical, right? We're here. It's us. It's not, it's not somewhere else. It's not nebulous. It's actual people, right? It's actually not that helpful to talk about world peace, right? That's what the beauty pageants people used to do, right? What would you like? I'd like world peace, Right? It's impossible to kind of love the world because you can't really hug the world. Go ahead and try it. I'm the only one trying. Try and hug the world. Right? You can't. But you can hug people. Right? 
You can actually love folks. You can, you can care for them. You can pray for them. You can, you know, ask their name. <laughs> you can know their name. You can miss them when they're not around. That's where we live. And it's an actual three-dimensional phenomenon. And so, these things that we have here for us today, the, the wine, the candle, the bread, and the salt, are here as, as, as representatives of the blessing for houses. It's this blessing. We'll put it up on the screen here again. Bread so that this house may never know hunger. Candle so that the house will always have light. Salt that life will always have flavor and wine so that joy and prosperity may reign forever. But I want to do this for you. Wherever you might live, your abode, your dwelling, I would like to come and offer a blessing for it, for that place. I'm not talking, in abstra- again, I'm not talking abstraction here. I want to come and visit you and bring you some of these things and pray a prayer of blessing for the place that you live. And again, this might be difficult for some of us, maybe particularly some of you on the live stream, like the Armsteads. You're out there, way out west somewhere. Maybe you could bring your home next time you come back to Oasis. Uh, Same with the Willinghams. Or my very, very good friend, uh, Courtney Farrakane. I don't know how often she actually listens to these, but I do know she lives in a, a mobile context so she can come. But, but the, the Porter Santanas, uh, the snowbirds who aren't with us right now but have gone back north for a while, maybe will we'll bless your Florida home when you come. <laughs> Listen, this is, this is not just a cheap way to get myself an invitation to come to your house. <laughs> I know, some of you are thinking that. I, won't, I, won't, I don't even need to come at like uh, mealtime, all right? I'll come at some other time and we'll just pray. But I want to bless you, and I want to bless your bodies. I want to bless your life. I want to bless your homes, because that's where we live. And we, again, are a house that Jesus is building for God, so that the very Spirit of God might dwell within us, so that we might live a life in the Spirit. So if you are on the live stream, you can put in the chat whether or not you'd like uh, for me to come visit, right? And we'll get back in touch with you uh, so we can get your address and stuff. Or there is a sign-up sheet at the welcome desk, and you can sign up as you leave. Or just contact me, and I'll come, and I'll visit. Because I want, I really want us to embody the life in the Spirit, because I think it's, it's what Jesus is doing in us and for us. And it's what then, to be like Christ, we should do for one another. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.